Father, we thank you so much for your good and your perfect word. And I just pray that you would help us to apply this to our lives. I pray that you would help us to not just take this as uh, scriptures we've heard over and over and over and over every Christmas season. God, I pray that you would make it new to us, that you would make it fresh, that you would help us to apply it to our lives. Father, again, we want to grow in our relationship with you, and we want to leave this place in a deeper relationship with you than when we came in. Help us to do that. Help us to truly reflect on what you've done for us this Christmas season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, have you ever been sitting in a meeting, or uh, maybe you're sitting right here, and something's just totally over your head, and you just start kind of mind-wandering, right? You just start thinking about something totally different. Uh, I sat in a meeting, a financial meeting, uh, this week, and there was a guy who sat across the table. He was running the meeting, and let me tell you, this guy had to be borderline genius. I mean, he was really, really smart, and the problem was... He used a lot of words that everyone else at the table had no idea what they meant, right? I mean, it was just like, blah, 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 blah. It's like Charlie Brown uh, adults speaking, right? And you're just like, what is going on here? I don't understand uh, what is happening here. And so sometimes you just have to pause and say, uh, can I ask a question? I didn't understand what any of that meant. Can you, can you just explain it to me like, like I'm a little child here? Like, I need you to just get out all the language. And sometimes when we're listening to something over and over and over again, it can become like that to us. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a streaming service called Discovery Plus. Anybody have it? It's okay. We're oh, one person. Okay, awesome. Well, we were watching uh, something from the History Channel, and it has like one of those intros, right? And if you stream any type of videos, you know that they have the intro. What pops up when you're watching a TV show when it has the intro? Anybody? A skip through the intro button, right? I mean, and everybody skips through the intro button. It, the intro has to be less than 10 seconds, okay? It's like so short. But let me tell you, if I don't hit that button, I am so annoyed because I didn't, I, I'm finding my remote. And it, all the effort that I had to find the remote in 10 seconds, the intro's already over. But it's, already, it's so annoying, right? Because I just want to get on to the content of what I have, right? And attention spans right now, I just uh, heard a study that attention spans are the lowest they've ever been. Uh, that online videos, right, they're, they're harming our attention spans as a society. And sometimes what can happen is we can hear something that we've heard over and over and over again, like this story, like this Christmas story here in Luke chapter 2, and it can just go over our head. And it's almost as though we're kind of hitting that forward button. Skip it, already seen it. Boom, moving on. Already, already heard about it. I've already, I've got this in my head. Let's move on to some new content. I want something new. I want something exciting. I want something fresh. Boom, skipping on forward. Here's what I want to do today. I want to look at this story, and it's a story that if you've been in church for any amount of time, if you have uh, gone through Christmas seasons before where you've read Scripture, you have almost certainly read Luke chapter 2. This is probably the most famous Christmas story that we have in all of Scripture. Luke, out of all the four Gospels, goes into more detail about Christ's birth than any other of the Gospels. And so it's kind of a go-to for preachers. It's kind of a go-to for Scripture readings. If you've had uh, maybe an Advent Scripture reading or Bible plan that you've been following, certainly you have read Luke chapter 2. But here's what I want to do today. I want to look at the shepherd's story because it tells us something about who God is, and how we are to respond to God that I think is really, really important. Three things that it teaches us. The first thing I want to point out here 
is right at the first couple of verses when it talks about this shepherd's story. Look at this. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping their watch by flock by night. Now, here's what we have to understand. Uh, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and outside of every uh, large city or notable city, there's going to be shepherds. There's going to be people who are keeping these uh, sheep awake at night or uh, keeping them uh, from any harm, from falling off cliffs, from any thieves, all these sorts of things. They're watching over the livestock. Here's what we don't know, unless you do a little bit of research, though. Um, Shepherds back then were not held in very high regard. In fact, uh, if a mother had a child, a little child, and that child said, uh, you know what, Mom, I want to grow up to be a shepherd. My guess is Mom would say, no, don't do that. I, we do not want you doing that. It would be kind of like, not that there's anything wrong with this profession, but it would be kind of like a three-year-old saying, you know what, Mom, um, when, I, when I grow up, I want to become a low-end McDonald's worker, right? Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you would say, you know what, maybe we can aspire for something higher than a burger flipper, right? Like maybe we can aspire to maybe a McDonald's manager at least or something like that, right? This is shepherds. In fact, shepherds, there's an old English term that they would use for them uh, when preachers would preach sermons about the shepherds. They said, they got mine confused with thine. And so what they were saying is, uh, they, they would oftentimes try and steal livestock from other people. They uh, were not reliable. In fact, uh, when they would go to court and someone would call a shepherd, their witness would basically be completely disregarded. Because these people were uh, viewed as completely unreliable. They're the lowest in society. And no one would think of a shepherd being visited by an angel. You see, oftentimes people would think of like these, these wise men, right? The Magi. They, they understood these stars. and They're coming to visit Jesus. That's, that's normal. But for God to send angels to shepherds? Everyone would have been surprised about that. Everyone would have been taken back and said, oh, shepherds, <laughs> I mean, couldn't you go like inside the city? Couldn't you go to more notable people here? And so for this to happen, it's really shocking. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I could imagine so as a shepherd. My guess, their job is very boring. Fluffy, don't fall off that cliff. Don't. Do I need to get my staff out? Stop it. Turn around. Come on. This is probably the extent of the most exciting thing that happens to them all night, right? It's just boring. You're just watching sheep and keeping animals away from them, keeping thieves away, and keeping them from wandering off. It's not a very exciting job. And so could you imagine? I mean, you're like half asleep. You're like, there goes another sheep. Mm-hmm. Right? That literally puts people to sleep. Sheep counting, right? And they're like, oh, okay. All right. And then suddenly you get a bright glory of the Lord angel to shine there. Of course they are afraid. Of course it says that they were filled with great fear. But here's what I want to point out to you about that. Is that God often uses all sorts of people and events to bring forth his will. Even shepherds. Which is really good news for you or I. Because have you ever felt like you're not good enough? Have you ever felt like you're like, man... I, I, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church on Sundays. You know, it's Christmas time. We celebrate Christmas. I, I understand this is good. This is about Jesus' birth. Boom. But, man, I, I don't feel like God could really use me. I'm just going to go to my job and I'm going to get my kids from school. We're going to do a normal Christmas thing. But I don't really feel like God could use me during this Christmas 
season. I think this really puts on display God's heart for all people. As 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Look at this, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This really puts on God's heart that He says, Hey, I care about each and every one of you. I love each and every one of you, and I have a plan for each and every one of you. Um, when God called me to be a pastor, I was in high school, and uh, my first reaction when he called me to be a pastor was, that's a mistake. There's no way I could do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. There's no way I could get up there and talk in front of all those people every Sunday morning. Uh, I must be either mishearing or, God, you're wrong because there's no way that I could do that. And God just kept putting that on my heart and kept putting that on my heart and kept putting that on my heart. And can I tell you, uh, and this is me being a little vulnerable to you here this morning, but sometimes the enemy still attacks me with saying things like, Josh, you're not good enough. Why don't you just quit? There's no way that you can keep on doing this job. You're not qualified enough. You're not good enough. And the enemy, he's going to throw those attacks at you. I want you to remember that the angel... He came to the shepherds, the lowest of society. God uses all sorts of people to bring forth his will. Why? Because he loves each and every one of you. He loves each and every one of us. And he'll even use people who don't love him to bring forth his will. He'll bring that opposite political party. He'll bring them in to, to play that maybe you are like, oh, I can't believe, I, I can't believe they got voted in. This is ridiculous. God will use them to bring forth his will. Even if they're doing evil things, he'll use evil dictators. And he, that doesn't mean that he'll, he'll want them to do those evil things, but he will use those things to bring forth his will. Take a look at Colossians with me. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Second Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting, look at this, for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here's the really good thing. There's going to be evil things that happen here on earth. There's going to be wars. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be famines. There's going to be evil things that can be avoided that aren't. And we can either freak out, and we can either say, oh, I can't believe this is happening, and we could go around and we could start uh, freaking out about it and start telling people about it, or we could have a peace in our lives to say, I know God doesn't want that to happen. I know God certainly doesn't want that war to happen, but I trust that he can use it to bring forth his glory his will and our good, as Romans 8.28 says, that he is, uh, has our good in mind for those who love him. He uses all sorts of people, all sorts of events to bring forth his will. Even if those things are evil and they're outside of God's will, God can still use the outcome of those things to bring forth his glory. And that should give us a certain level of peace as believers. It should give us a certain level of trust in him where we could say, you know what, I have some peace because I realize that God's got this thing all under 
control. In fact, take a look at what the angels say to the shepherds as we continue on our story here. It says, The angel said to him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Here's a really interesting part. There's probably plenty of babies in Bethlehem. There's only one who's going to be lying in a manger. That's going to be Jesus. And suddenly it says, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and singing. This is one of the only portions in all of Scripture where we see people seeing a heavenly image, this heavenly uh, image of people praising and worshiping God. There are other uh, portions of Scripture that have this, but not a whole lot. And so be careful when you see these. To, be, to pay close attention. Look at the next verse. Look at what they're saying. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, look at this, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's interesting, after they come to the shepherds, and they, they tell them, hey, listen, here's your sign. It's going to be a baby lying in a manger. And then they have this heavenly image, right? All of these angels, the heavenly hosts, praising God saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The second thing that I think that we could take away from this passage is that it is through Jesus and only through Jesus that we can have peace. Everybody's looking for peace in their life. Everybody. Everybody's looking to have peace. If I uh, said, well, show of hands today, uh, who would not want peace in their life? Right? Hopefully no one would raise their hand, right? Everyone's saying, yeah, I would love that. And you're saying, okay, yeah, but there's got to be exceptions, right? There's, there's got to be exceptions to people who want peace. What about like evil dictators who are starting wars and things like that? My guess is that's their way of having peace. That, oh, if I could only have this territory, if I could only have this amount of people, then I would have peace in our lives or in my life. We can do that as well in different ways, though. We could say, man, if I only had that house, if I only had this number in my bank account or my retirement savings, if I only had this, then I would have peace. If I only had this relationship in my life, if I only had this car, if I only had this career, then I would have peace in my life. People try to get peace in all sorts of different ways, but it is through Jesus and only through Jesus that we can truly have peace. And His peace is different than a certain number in a bank account. It's different than having all the toys or all the stockpile of uh, gear ready to go when the grid collapses or whatever you think that gains you peace. Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Why? Because Jesus offers us a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't even make sense to society the amount of peace that Jesus can give to each and every one of us. He says this in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's interesting, Jesus essentially says, hey, uh, you're going to have peace and you're going to have things that really stink in your life. 
you're going to get sick. Your loved ones are going to get sick. You're going to have relational turmoil. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have financial hardships. Things are going to get difficult in life. And yet, Jesus says, I have come that you may have peace. I have given you my peace. There's something that happens when we trust in Jesus with everything that we've got. And it's a certain amount of peace that surpasses everything else in life. Um, when I was in college, um, I had a, part, or a full-time job, and uh, I was going to that job, and my grandma uh, lived about two minutes away. And earlier uh, that year, my grandma had been diagnosed uh, with a terminal cancer, and the doctors had given her six months to live. And Grandma's the one that held the family together. You know, uh, as you are preparing your family get-togethers, uh, some of you have uh, this family member in your family. It's the one that holds everything together. They plan everything, and everyone relies on them. And without them, things fall apart. Well, that was for my family, Grandma. She did everything. She hosted every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every Easter. It was at her house, and man, she just held the family together. And she loved Jesus with everything she had. And I remember I was driving to work. I left early that one day, and I stopped at her house. And it was unannounced. It was rude of me, but I couldn't help myself because I wanted to go see Grandma because she only had so much time to live. And I remember going into her house, and she was sitting on her recliner, and she just said, come in. She was really weak from the chemo. She said, come in, and I just sat down. She goes, well... Can I help you? Like She's like, why are you here? I just gave her a big hug. I just said, I, I just want to spend some time with you, Grandma. And she told me this. She said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now, she knew she had terminal cancer. In fact, she died a month later. But she knew it was going to be okay because she trusted in Jesus. And she had peace with that. And she knew where she was going when that cancer finally won. Because ultimately, no disease has the win for a Christian. For a Christian, for those who love Jesus, we know what our eternity looks like. It's an eternity with Christ in Him, praising Him for eternity. She had that. She had a certain amount of peace. It was the peace that, as Paul writes at the end of 2 Thessalonians, he says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Look at this. It's a certain amount of peace that we have that no matter what happens, we can rely on Christ and say, I know you've got this. When turmoil's going on in my life, I know you got this. When turmoil's going on in the rest of the world, I know you got this. When turmoil's going on with my loved ones, I know you got this, God. It's a certain amount of peace. It's not us as Christians digging our head in the sand and ignoring it or being fake or just saying cliche phrases. It's us fully trusting in Christ and that only is uh, able to have happen because of what God has done by sending His one and only Son to be born on behalf of us, to die a horrific death on behalf of us. One more thing I want to point out to you in this passage of Scripture before we end out of time. 
this morning. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. It's interesting um, as they, they did this, I could only imagine they get this news, right? They're standing in the field. It's dark out. The angel comes. They're blinded by it. They're like, whoa, this is crazy. They, they see this heavenly host praising God. They get this message that the Messiah is going to be laying in a manger. They get this, and then the angels go away. And it's dark and quiet again. And they hear like, right? Like it's just normal, everyday life. And I could imagine there's a temptation, Right? They could have said, oh, speckles over there. Speckles, stop harming your... Uh, get, somebody give me my staff. i got to go over to the... Uh, we don't have time for this, okay? We've got the sheep to watch. We've got things that we got to do. we got a job. I'm sure that there's that temptation, right? But they didn't take it. They knew after they have experienced the angels proclaiming God, they're experiencing heaven. They're experiencing the Lord in that moment. And there's that temptation to go back to everyday life, to what they had been doing. But they didn't take it. Instead, what do they do? Their go-to after experiencing God is to experience Him more. And take a look at verse 20 with me. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Their go-to thing after experiencing God is not to go back to normal life, is not to go back to their normal job, but to experience God more and to spread the good news by glorifying Him. And our reaction after experiencing God, after spending time with Him, after being saved, after coming to church, after having devotional time and praying and reading Scripture, is to experience Him more and to spread the good news. This should be our go-to thing. But so often as Christians, right, we show up to church, we hear the message, and off to lunch, and off to the to-do list, and the grocery shopping, and the got to get back to work on Monday, and uh, I got stuff I got to do. And Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with getting stuff done. But listen, Scripture should change us. Experiencing God worshiping together as a community of people who love Him, this should change who we are. We should go to work Monday, new people, ready to glorify Him in everything that we do, ready to point people towards Him, ready to show His love to people around us who we're encountering. It should change who we are. First John 4.16 puts it like this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in Him, look at this, abides in God and God abides in Him. Do you get this idea of, uh, as, as Jesus puts it, the, the branch and the vine in John chapter 15? It's this abiding in God. This is what it looks like to glorify Him in everything that we have. Jesus says this in John 17, 3. He says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. A lot of times we think about eternal life and we think about, oh, you know, um, it's paradise, right? The gold streets um, and uh, everything's good. There's no crying or anything and that'll be good. That'll, that'll be good someday. That's eternal life. And that's true, right? That's part of it. 
But look at what John 17, 3 is putting at us right now. It says, hey, this is eternal life, that we know Jesus, which looks like this. Eternal life is here and now, and it's also in the future. For Christians today, eternal life can be had right here and right now on earth. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, which means you don't have to wait to glorify God with everything that you have. You can do that right here on earth. You can know Jesus and thus experience eternal life right here and right now. Psalm 34, 8 puts it like this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You get this idea of what it looks like to taste and see that we are experiencing firsthand the goodness of God and we're leaning into our relationship with him and we're loving others better even because of it. As Jesus says in Mark 16, he says to him, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This should be our reaction of experiencing God, of spending time with him, of worshiping him, is to do that more and then to spread the good news. So as we end today, let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, where's your relationship with Jesus at right now? How's your relationship with God been? And you might ask yourself, man, it, it's been okay, I guess. But I don't feel like I've been experiencing eternal life, as John 17, 3 says. I don't feel like I've been experiencing that right now. So let me ask you a question then. How can you lean into your relationship with Jesus more this Christmas season? How can you grow in your relationship with Him? And not just take all this Christmas stuff for granted, not just go through the motions, not just go, oh, you know, we do this every Christmas, we sing the songs, we read the Bible here in certain parts, and you know what, that's it, and we go home and we have some presents and pie and we move on with our lives. How can you truly experience Jesus? How can you truly lean in to your relationship with Him this Christmas season? What does that look like for you? For you, it might look like reading some more scripture. For you, it might look like spending some more time in prayer. For you, it might look like canceling something because you're saying, I'm just too busy and I don't have time for God, so I'm going to make time for God in my life because it is such a top priority in my life. What does that look like for you to lean in to your relationship with Jesus? For you, that might look like today accepting Jesus for the first time. For you, it might look like today saying, okay, God, you've got me, and I'm going to lean in. And I, I give my life to you, and I know I've done that before, but I, I really mean it this time. I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life to you, and you're rededicating your life to Christ today. For you, it might just look like, okay, I need to rearrange some things. What does it look like for you to lean in to your relationship with Jesus today? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. And God, help us to lean into that. Help us to, as we've experienced you here today, experience you more and to go off and spread the good news. Jesus, if there's anyone here who hasn't given their heart to you, I pray that today would be their day, that they would give your life, their life all to you, Father. That they would hold nothing back and not get distracted as the temptation is to go back to everyday life but truly run after you, Jesus, and follow you with everything that they have. But God, I pray that we would 
really make that a priority in our lives. That it, we wouldn't just say that we're Christians, that we wouldn't just say we're celebrating Christmas to celebrate you, but we would truly mean it. We would lean into our relationship with you. Father, help us to do that. Help us to do that with everything that we have. And during this busy Christmas season, I pray that it wouldn't fly by and mean nothing to us. But I pray that we would really lean into you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.